everybody, it's Drags, and this week on Episode 8 of Jungle Roar, a Cincy football podcast, the NFL regular season finally here, and we break down what to look forward to, uh, not only in the season opener at Paul Brown Stadium this Sunday against the Vikings, but what is in store for the 2021 Bengals realistically and optimistically. Joining me this week is Richard Skinner of Local 12, a longtime reporter covering the Bengals and doing some great work covering area high school games, which I'm a particularly big fan of. I think Skinny knows this. Follow Skinny on Twitter at Local12Skinny, all one word. How you doing, Skinny? Doing great, Trags. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, looking forward to the NFL season finally beginning. No more talk about second and third stringers, uh, although, you know, it's great to watch them battle for NFL jobs and and all due respect to them. But it's good to finally look forward to a game where we're going to be watching uh, the starters against starters for all four quarters. Yeah, I mean, you know, you get the one series here and the one series there and you think everything looks great. And in some cases, you think everything looks bad in the case of Jamar Chase. And maybe it's just one series they did great. And for Jamar Chase, the handful of plays he did, he did bad. So, yeah, finally now a chance to really judge ones versus ones as we move forward. Yeah, and I think that's the what every NFL fan really looks forward to is, you know, the preseason games and training camp, obviously, are there for a particular reason. Something we didn't have, obviously, in the pandemic year of 2020. Uh, and now we did have it this year, so it should improve to some better quality play uh, to start the season. Your thoughts, Joe Burrow, uh, Richard, on what he looked like from, I mean, obviously you've followed him all the way from um, his rookie year to the injury, then to uh, OTAs, training camp and preseason. He only threw one pass, obviously, in in uh, regular in the preseason. It was dropped by Jamar Chase. But what were your biggest impressions, biggest takeaways of Joe Burrow? Yeah, there, there's no doubt that that knee bothered him the, at least the first week plus of camp. Uh, it bothered him when the live rush was around him. And, and to his credit, we had we talked to him, and you were there at part of it. We talked to him on that Saturday, and he admitted it was a mental thing. Um, and it was almost like he spoke it into truth because from that day forward. He really looked good. He looked sharp. He looked like the guy that we saw last year. And I think for, for a lot of us, and myself included, I'll include me in this group too. He hit the ground running so fast last year. As you mentioned, you didn't have an OTA. You didn't have an offseason. You just you kind of went right into training camp. No preseason games. He looked so sharp doing that. And he came out, you know, almost led the game-winning drive against the Chargers and, and would have led it if it hadn't been called back due to a penalty, the touchdown pass to A.J. Green. Right. So, you know, the, 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 the part of me thought, I. We're going to see the old Joe Burrow. Well, we didn't. We saw a guy who's coming back from major knee surgery and, and shame on me, I guess, um, and anybody else that, that thought he was going to be superhuman. Um, but now it, it, I still think there's a mental block of facing that in the regular season. You know, he's talked, Trags, you know what? He's talked about wanting to get hit. He didn't get yep. hit in training camp. He didn't get hit in the one preseason game he was in. He's going to have live bodies around him. He's going to have people blitzing that he won't see. He's going to have somebody hit that leg, you know, maybe as soon as the first pass attempt of the season. And he's going to have to, I think, get over the mental hurdle of that. So I don't think it's it, it's going to be there the way we think it is, the way maybe uh, fans are hoping it will be from what we saw as camp went on, the, the sharp Joe Burrow, the Joe Burrow that we saw at times last year. I still think there's a mental hurdle he has to overcome. Maybe he does it. I, I, for Bengals fans, I hope that he does do it for your sake and for his, his sake. But I still think that it's real, um, and he's going to have to overcome that uh, really quickly. Why do you think, Skinny, and I know a lot of fans have asked me this uh, on, on social media, in person, whatnot. Um, why has the culture changed around the Bengals, around the NFL, when you know we all know what happened in 
2006, it was Carson Palmer coming back seven months after his ACL playing a full half in that Monday night game against Green Bay that everybody remembers three touchdown passes. He had a near perfect quarterback rating and he exposed, you know, Marvin Lewis had that knee of Carson Palmer's that reconstructed knee exposed for a full half of football. Why, why is it different now with Joe Burrow? It's a great question. I, I guess it's the cachet of coming off that playoff season for Marvin Lewis, right? I mean, um, Zach Taylor doesn't have that cachet right now. He has 625 and one he's hanging his hat on. Um, his best bet is to have Joe Burrow um, healthy, as healthy can be when the season starts, even if it means he may not be as sharp as they hope. I think that's the calculated roll of the dice. You know, people can argue, well, it's a, you know, it's a financial decision. Well, you know, there's a lot of financials involved in, in, right. in the mid 2000s in the NFL, too. So you're exposing your number one overall pick who is getting paid a pretty, pretty, pretty penny even then um, to that half of football that you mentioned. So, yeah, I, I, the only thing I can think of is, is just the fact of that calculated roll of the dice of we think he's still going to be ready. He was ready last year without playing in the preseason, as we recall. Um, it is a calculated roll of the dice. And the fact that um, they know without Joe Burrow, and this is no knock on Brandon Allen. I mean, he was one in four as a starter, so it wasn't like he set the world on fire. And he's a backup for a reason. You're not winning many games with Brandon Allen. This staff needs to win games. And I think this is the roll of the dice they took with Joe Burrow that, all right, he's going to be good. We get him through camp. We're going to expose him to as much as we can. And then we think he's ready for the season. We'll find out on Sunday. Do you think, Richard Skinner, that some of this has to do with the physique of Joe Burrow? And I, I ask this respectfully because Carson Palmer was a big, big Yes, he was. He was. He was. And people forget that. Uh, Joe Burrow is still, what, 6'1", 220 pounds, I think it is, whatever. I don't have his uh, yeah, that's his about right. vitals. Yeah. But uh, Carson was 6'3", and... Uh, weighed about 225 at his peak. He was a bigger guy and he could take a bigger hit and did. Um, And I don't think they want to expose Joe Burrow to those kind of hits in the preseason. I think that had to be part of it. Yeah, I'm going to guess that's probably part of it, too. But I I just go back to I think they they really didn't want him exposed. They didn't want to be second guessed of wait a minute, you exposed him in the preseason. Look at you. You guys are a 6-25 and one staff that exposed our franchise quarterback in the preseason and he got hurt. You know what? Why didn't you let it go to the regular season? I, I think some of that uh, was involved with it too. So we'll see if, the, if, it, if it pans out. I, I know this and you've seen it. He does look better, but he hasn't been hit yet. So the other thing that just popped into my mind and I'm like, duh, Carson Palmer didn't have the question marks on the interior of his offensive line. Well, there's that that too. (laughs) And Joe Burrow did. Yeah, there's that too. Yeah. And I think probably more than anything else, you had a start, a starting center in Trey Hopkins coming off an ACL um, in about the same time frame that Carson Palmer did. And he's returning uh, this Sunday as well and did return. It was a good sign. Actually, I think just as important to see Joe Burrow out there uh, for one pass that wasn't caught and he really didn't face any stress trey hopkins did face stress right. for three uh snaps in uh you know the trenches uh, of the line play and he held up well so i mean as far as we know he held up well so uh i think that's just as big a deal and probably the re- the real reason that uh joe burrow didn't play in the preseason and they didn't want to expose him is the uncertainty over the offensive line which segues into my next point you think the offensive line is going to be good enough i don't think anybody is looking for all pro 
uh, play or Pro Bowl play from the line. But they are looking for a much improved, consistent work along the entire line as a unit. To me, that's the bigger deal. Yeah, and, and I'll throw a stat at you, and it could be a meaningless, meaningless stat because it occurred in the last four games of last year, and sometimes that's, you know, other teams are banged up too. Right. Uh, but that was at a time when Jonah Williams was out, and Jonah Williams is back now, so you're certainly better at left tackle from, from those last four games. Riley Reef is an upgrade over Bobby Hart. But in those last four games, your starting right guard was Xavier Suofilo, your starting center was Trey Hopkins, who did get hurt in the finale, and your starting left guard was Quentin Spain. They gave up all the four sacks in, in those four games. It was 2-2-0-0 were the sack totals over the last four games. That, to me, seems like Xavier Suofilo and Quentin Spain more than held up their end of the bargain. Now you've got your starting left tackle back who didn't play those last four games. You've got an upgrade at right tackle. Yep. Um, I, I think this offensive line has a – look, it, yeah, it's not going to be the 88 Super Bowl offensive line by any stretch no. of the imagination, but it, I think it is more than serviceable. You know, they gave up an average of three stacks a game last year. Um, some of that, too, if you look – I mean, Joe Burrow dropped back an average – drags of about 44 times a game you're i don't care how good your offensive line is you're exposing a guy dropping him yeah. back 44 times a game yeah. so some of it was on the offensive line don't get me wrong i'm not here to, to, to absolve them of of some of the blame of joe getting hit and joe getting sacked the 32 times he got sacked in three games but when you're dropping a guy back 44 times you're, you're going to take some sacks I, I made a bold prediction for every position group uh, in a column i did on local12.com yesterday and one of them was i think this line averages less giving up less than two sacks a game i think some of it's going to be the reliance more on the running game is going to help some things. I think it's going to be a little bit more of quick passing game to not expose Joe to as many hits with the knee. And I do think you're going to see improved offensive line play. I think you saw that down the stretch of last year. I am. I'm very impressed with Quentin Spain. He is somebody I think people look past. He is a people mover. He's big. And I think they can run behind him. I think he is going to, and from what, like you said, what I saw of him last year, and especially in the second half of last year, uh, I was very impressed with him. And I think he can be a stalwart in the uh, middle of that offensive line. And I think Trey Hopkins is a veteran you can rely on. Sure. All right. Jamar Chase. <laughs> yeah. Hang on. Don't, don't throw me a pass. Here's the deal. And I've brought this analogy up um, a couple of times and you can laugh at it all you want. Jerry Rice had big time time a, a big time trouble with the drops early in his career with the 49ers coming out of uh, um, Mississippi Valley Mississippi, Mississippi Valley, Valley State. State thank you with the great uh, quarterback Willie Satellite Totten is that right that's right that was his name Satellite I did not know that you could ask me that question and I would take a million guesses and I would never guess Satellite Totten was Jerry Rice's quarterback at Mississippi Valley Jerry Rice had big time problems with it. And Bill Walsh has talked about this. Steve Young talked about it. Uh, Joe Montana alluded to it because uh, he played with him for uh, early in his career. And he managed to get over that. Uh, and Jamar Chase talked about it on Monday. It's a matter of focus. It's a matter of looking the ball into his hands and catching the ball before he makes his first move. And if you go back to that pass, on Sunday against the Dolphins in the preseason finale. It's exactly what happened. You can see him not with his feet planted, but starting to move upfield before he catches the ball. Yeah, I, the, the thing I will say, Mike, I'm going to give you the optimistic view of Jamar Chase and then the pessimistic view of Jamar Chase. The optimistic view is in, in that column I did, I told you about the, for the wide receiver group, the one bowl prediction is that Jamar Chase will have a thousand yard season and be in the hunt for AFC Offensive Rookie of the Year, because I do believe this is a temporary thing with him. It didn't happen in college. I mean, he wasn't a drop-filled guy in college. Honestly, A.J. Green probably had more drop issues in college 
than, than Jamar Chase did. And, and that never came to fruition in the NFL. So the optimistic view is that of Jamar Chase, of a guy that, listen, he'll get past this. He'll have a big year. He'll be exactly what you wanted him to be and you hoped he would be and be in the hunt for AFC Offensive Rookie of the Year. The pessimistic view is, though, all four of his drops came in either tight windows or with a defender around him that makes me wonder aloud, yep. is he worried about taking a hit after a catch? And, and, and if that's the case, he has to overcome that part mentally. Again, I'm going to chalk it up to, as he talked about yesterday, of making sure he looks it in. Um, I thought one interesting thing he talked about was was the was the NFL football being different. I didn't think yes. about the fact that there's no white late, you know, white stripe on the outside of the football in the NFL like there is in college. Didn't even dawn on me that that would affect a receiver. Um, and I don't I don't think that was an excuse. I think that was just him legitimately saying, you know, I have to get used to the to a new football. I followed and, that not to inter- jump in. No, here, no, you're good. I followed that up because I'm like, hmm, that's fascinating because I know he's not using this as an excuse. Right. But the ball being bigger, his He's obviously trying to focus on the ball, but if he's not picking up the ball, I'm thinking either he's not picking up the ball or he needs glasses. I mean, so many thoughts are going through your head when you hear him talk about it's harder to see the ball. And you never think of that. You just assume that these receivers are picking up the ball out of the hands naturally. Well, maybe that's not the case. Yeah, and, and I and I the one other thing that, that I do like about Jamar Chase, this isn't a guy who has sloughed this off and gone. I'm going to be fine. Yeah, stop asking me this question. It's a guy that we watched work on the jugs machine after practice. We, you know, he talked about now working. I didn't know that he was doing the tennis ball thing until he talked about it yesterday of, of catching a tennis ball regularly for hand-eye coordination. It's not for lack of effort or lack of work. I think that's the good part. It would be one thing if this guy just went, listen, man, I'm the fifth overall pick. I'm good. Leave me alone. No, I think he, he understands. And he even said it, listen, my job is to catch the football. That is my job. He knows that. Um, so, like I said, I've got the optimistic view of it. I think I'm going to stick with that. But the pessimistic view is all four drops came in tight windows where he's about to get hit or blown up in a couple of cases. And that, that that's your job, too. You're going to get hit in the NFL. There's not there's a lot. Of, there's, it's not college. There's not a lot of times you're running 20 yards wide open or, or making one guy miss. You know, you're going to catch some balls in tight windows and take a shot. Um, so I, I, I think he'll be fine, um, but he has to prove it. I, it. Me saying it, you saying it, him saying it, it, it proof's going to be in the pudding when he does it. I think he'll be fine, but you know, that's the other part of preseason and training camp. Uh, You can't really hit anybody and you know, your own defensive back, you know, these aren't the 75 Steelers, the 76 Steelers who are killing Lynn Swan in practice, right? It's not Jack Tatum back there blowing up his own guys. Right. Um, But I I think Jamar Chase is going to be an important part of this offense. Uh, I'm not, I, I hold the optimistic view. I love what I've seen out of uh, T Higgins. I have too. Uh, and I just think his hands, his size, his frame, he could be a big time receiver, 20 TDs over a thousand yards. I really am. Uh, so, you know, I'm buying on T Higgins. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think he's gained a little bit of speed too. I don't think he's going to ever be an outside burner and he's not going to be that guy, but he's also a guy you play press man on him and he can get off of your press. He's going by you. And so um, he just gives you a wide variety of things he can do. He can make that third and seven contested catch for a first down. He can turn a seven yard slant into a 20 yard plus gain. He can get by some people up the sidelines. Not again, you're not running on, on 10 go routes a game and, and saying, boy, I hope we hit a couple of these, but he can do that. And so I'm with you. I, I think he's poised for a huge, 
huge year, uh, almost to the point where I think that's where defenses are going to have to start focusing their their, their safeties towards is more towards T. Higgins than than to probably Jamar Chase or certainly even to, to, to Tyler Boyd in the slot. I think a lot of the guy, a lot of times it's going to be you know coverage rotation towards uh, towards T. Higgins because I think he's going to prove to be a real yep. matchup t- difficulty for teams. And I think Tyler Boyd's going to be. Uh, open underneath yeah and and yeah. I just I I am optimistic that this offense is going to have a lot of options at the disposal of uh, one Joe Burrow uh, I wrote about it le- over the weekend what what real quick um it's off the top of my head your thoughts on Chris Evans I actually think um if he can find his way on the field and they trust him to uh, pick up blitzes for Burrow. Uh, he's going to be on the field quite a bit. He is uh, the X factor, a secret weapon. Yeah, I, I think there's a package of plays for him. I don't think he's going to become your third down back per se. I do believe that they want Joe Mixon to be a regular three down back. Yep. I think Samaj P. Ryan does probably spell him, you know, on the series here and there that he's out. But I do think there's a place for Chris Evans. There's a package of plays for Chris Evans. Even if, if what they put on film in that Miami game is him lined up wide, going by a linebacker, catching a touchdown. That's now on film that if you're lining him up wide, maybe they don't cover him with a linebacker. Maybe the linebacker actually has to cover Tyler Boyd in the slot. And maybe if it is a linebacker out there, you go back and go, Chris, we watched you run by our linebackers. We watched you run by a linebacker in Miami. I know it was a third string linebacker, but hey, here's the matchup we like. We're going going to you. So, yeah, I don't think it'll be, you know, like a lot of teams have their first and second down back. Then in comes the third down guy who's the receiver, kind of the Gio Bernard role for, for teams. I don't think it's going to be that per se, but I do think there is a package of plays uh, each game that they can involve Chris Evans in. Okay, there is a fascinating matchup. Let's get to the game uh, at hand. The season opener against Mike Zimmer's Minnesota Vikings uh, Sunday at Paul Brown Stadium at 1 o'clock. They're not playing against each other, mind you. Uh, like we always talk about pictures in baseball, they're not facing each right, other necessarily. Right. But Joe Mixon and Dalvin Cook, to me, if you take a look at their backgrounds, same draft, same round Dalvin cook and Joe Mixon Dalvin cook is considered arguably top three running back in the NFL, maybe uh, by some measurements, by some metrics, the best running back in the national football league. Joe Mixon has those skills, but hasn't realized um, the potential yet. Uh, Certainly at that level, I think people, people here in Cincinnati, all of us, know the potential is out there for Mixon. We've seen glimpses of it, but not at the consistent level of Dalvin Cook. I'm curious to see if Joe Mixon in 2021 can finally break out. We've heard all of the talk about Frank Pollock, the offensive line coach, getting that wide zone scheme in and trying to open up some things for Mixon so he can be Dalvin Cook. What do you think of that comparison? Yeah, Dalvin Cook's great. There's no question about it. I've done a couple of fantasy drafts, and that's never you know a direct comparison. And he went certainly top three, I think, in in both of the drafts that, that we did. Um, but yeah, there's no question. I mean, he he runs angry. Um, he's he's a he's a powerful runner. He can also have breakaway runs. I mean, he is a guy that can turn a two yard gain if you don't tackle him into a thirty yard gain or even a thirty plus yard gain. But to Mixon, I, I'm kind of with you. I, I think this is the year we see him have a workload. I think a couple of things. Um, they, they, you know, they, they've, they've done a good job of keeping the tread off the tires. You know, I, I'm interested in what Christian McCaffrey does this year coming off injury and how many times he's touched the ball and how many hits he's taken. Well, Joe Mixon hasn't really been all that exposed to it. And this year, I think they're going to try their best to get him 25 touches a game, not carries, but touches. And that's right. some in the past game as well. 
Um, and one of my predictions as well for, for that position group is I think Joe Mixon approaches to goes over 2000 yards from scrimmage this year. Um, no Bengals player has, has ever done that. And I think he's got a chance to really do that. You know, if he gets 25 touches and averages what he's averaging his career per touch, which is about 4.7 yards per touch, and maybe even increases that a hair. He's, he's over 2,000 yards. I think it's well within his, his grasp to do that because I do think he's going to embrace being a three-down back. I think he is going to embrace being more involved in the pass game. Some of it also, he has to embrace pass blocking, and that has been mm. part of the reason he's not been on the field on third downs. But I think it's the kind of the dangle the carrot. Joe, we want you on the field as long as you can pass block some for us. And, and uh, if that's the case, I, I'm with you. And he loves the run scheme. He loves what Frank Pollock does with the wide zone. I think, he, I think he's embraced all of this. I, he's looked good in camp and it's, it, it's hard to really always gauge that because they only thud, but um, he, he looks like he's got burst. He looks like he's, he's perfectly healthy, you know, coming off the injury from last year. I think he, is, he has a chance to have a huge, huge year. And honestly, I regret in both of my drafts that I did that I couldn't get him coming snaking back down. He was, he was gone the, the couple of times I had a chance because I'm in that group that thinks he has a humongous year for the Bengals. Um, I'm guessing that the number one player yards from scrimmage would have been James Brooks. I think that's right. And I have to go back and punch the numbers. I I was trying to see Adam as I went to see if anybody approached 2000 and nobody really did. So I kind of let that go. I I would say it's got to be James Brooks. Yeah. 86 or 88 Bengals. James Brooks would be like, I mean, I thought James Brooks back in eight. Here we go. I'll go with this man. (laughs) James Brooks in 86 and 88 the two two of the best seasons I ever saw, offensive seasons I ever saw from a Cincinnati Bengal. I mean, think about this. He averaged over five yards a rush. He was a he wasn't just a, a swing pass catcher. I mean, he was a legit route runner and pass catcher. Did like stuff Chris after Evans the catch, would be. Like Chris Evans would be. Right. And the one thing too that he also did. He was Giovanni Bernard blocking. I mean, he was a great blocking running yes. back. And that was in a days where, you, you know, you, you, you didn't have eye formation, but you had two running backs for the most part. and They'd line up side by side. So if you ran a play to the left and he was, he was the guy on the left. He was blocking for Ricky Woods and vice versa. And some of the or Larry Kinnebrew in, in 86. So yeah, I, I, you know, James Brooks to me is, it was, is a, is, is, I don't even know, arguably the, the greatest all around back in Bengals history, in my opinion. And, no and, 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 and I mean, he just did so many things. Um, heck, you kind of forget that back in his early days in San Diego, he was a heck of a punt returner on top of it. He didn't do that with the Bengals. Didn't need to, it was kind of a different part of his career, but he, he was, if I'm not mistaken, returned a punt, I think for a touchdown in a playoff game once. Um, I know he did in the regular season. He was a, he was an all around great player. There's no doubt about that. And, and Bengal fans may or may not remember this. He fumbled a key kickoff in the 81 uh, ice bowl. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. For the chargers. And I, that was actually a big, big play in that game. And then a couple of years later, obviously Pete Johnson goes to San Diego. The Bengals get James Brooks and a lot of Bengals fans at that time were like, what are we getting here? And then they found out. Okay. I just brought up on my computer because I am want to do that during a podcast. In 86, he had 1,087 yards rushing. And, and, average, five, and average, what, five yards a carry probably? 5.3. Yeah, led the AFC. Good. That's pretty darn good. And he had 686 yards receiving. So that would have been, I'm just doing this right off the top, 1,760 yards. And that's probably got to be the highest. I'm going to guess yeah, from scrimmage. I, I'm going to guess that would be at 86. I mean, again, the 86 Bengals, that team that didn't make the playoffs because – uh, what happened with the Browns um, the second to last week of the season? Yeah, they, they, they came in. They came here and blitzed them. I mean, it was like 34 yes. to nothing or 34, 34 three, I three, think. whatever. Yeah, it was a it was it was a, it was a beat down. Yeah, that was not good. Um, 
But yes, that team, to me, if that team had gotten to the playoffs, it could have made very much made some noise. Yeah, that, 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 that offense was ridiculous. Unfortunately, the defense didn't usually match it. Then sadly, in that Browns game, the offense didn't do a thing. No. Um, let's get back to the Vikings here because yep. there's a lot to talk about with Mike Zimmer and how it, it's not necessarily that he knows the Bengals uh, roster because, you know, players he coached here because he really doesn't. The roster as we flipped all entirely. know has been flipped entirely. And this is really Zach Taylor's team. But Mike Zimmer has um, a defense that is much like the Bengals. Richard Skinner has been rebuilt in one off season. And they have a couple of Bashad Breland and Xavier Woods are new to the secondary and they just Patrick Peterson and Patrick Peterson. Right. Uh, So those three are new on the back end and they have Harrison Smith, who was just re-upped obviously uh, Jesse Bates and his representation, (laughs) keeping an eye on uh, what their, what that new contract means. Um, but they have a lot of new faces on defense. And I want to bring up the fact that uh, very highly respected uh, athletic writer, Shale Kapitia, uh, thinks that they are the number one defense in the National Football League going into the season. Yeah, that's a that's a, good, a great way for Joe Burr to start, isn't it? And, and <laughs> you know, you know, Mike Zimmer um, is kind of credited with the eight double A gap blitz. He's not the first to do it, but he gets a lot of credit for it. Um, so you know, he's going to put pressure on Joe Burrow. And, and listen, um, I get it. If I, if I'm him, I may sell out a couple of times early just to batter him around, even if it costs me a, a couple of big gains, just to see how he reacts to the hits. And maybe again, it's it's a negative reaction of man, they're beating me up because it's not it's not the offensive line's fault. It's they're blitzing. I got to get out of my hands, and they're just belting me. I got a feeling Mike Zimmer is going to test that knee really quickly in the game, and that's where we need to see where where and how Joe Burrow responds to that. You know what I want to see? I want to see what boom like I want to see Burrow do what Joe uh, Boomer Esiason would have done. And that is um, some delayed draws, some uh, screen passes, something to get the Minnesota Vikings thinking that they're, that the Bengals are going to drop back every single time or, you know, drop back three out of every four snaps. And then they hit them with quick hitters or hit, hit them with Mixon up the middle in a draw. That's yeah. what I want to see. I want to see the Bengals. I want to see Brian Callahan and Zach Taylor make that in-game adjustment to say, okay, if you're going to come at us with that double-A gap blitz, and certainly Zach Taylor, and he brought this up on Monday, has seen enough of Mike Zimmer's defense from his days with the Dolphins uh, you know, many, many years ago. And uh, obviously a couple of years ago, uh, well, actually a couple of years ago with the Dolphins, he, I want to see him make the adjustments in game. Yeah, I agree. And um, some of it too is if you can be effective with Joe Mixon running the ball on first and second down and get yourself in third and manageables more, more often, as opposed to being in third and sevens where you are dropping back and you are exposing uh, Joe to getting hit. So some of that will help as well. But yeah, I, I think it's a great chess game. It's a great chess game for these guys to, to start off with because uh, Mike Zimmer um, certainly is, is, is a is a great defensive mind for sure. Uh, and I just think, you know, this, it's an interesting test for, uh, you know, Zach Taylor and the Bengals to go up against right out of the gate, because I think this will be a baseline for my next point. These first four games, if the Bengals can find a way to upset the Vikings, and I don't think it would be a huge upset. It's no, a yeah, they're, they're, they're technically a minor underdog. So yes, it still would be an upset. Yes. But if they can get off to the, on the right foot at home in front of a home crowd, 
and and just play a, a hard game, much in the same way that they did against the Chargers. I thought the Bengals played a pretty tough game. I did, too. A, and a pretty good game against the Chargers, all things. We didn't know that the Chargers would be as bad as they were uh, toward the end of the season last year. But coming into that game, had the Bengals beaten the Chargers, I think the perspective of the first month of that season would have changed. I think the same is true this year because you've got games after the Viking game at Chicago, at Pittsburgh. For different reasons, I think they're winnable games. And then the home, home game against Jacksonville. It is vital. It is of the utmost importance for this Bengal team to get off to at least a three and one start if they're going to have any hope of having a relevant season as we approach the middle of the year. And not just that, and right or wrong, I mean, if you get off to a one and three or God forbid for Zach Taylor an 0 and four start, at what point do, do players start tuning it out? You know, they've still had Zach Taylor's back through all of this. They still have a belief. Um, you, you still haven't heard any players um, that are in the locker room currently. You had a couple of malcontents last year and they got rid of one of them. Um, but you know, for the most part, these guys have had Zach Taylor's back. They have a, they've, they've talked in glowing terms and in belief terms, and that's great. But if you get off to another slow start, at what point do players go, look, this ain't working, man. We're now, let's just go to the, to the, to the nuclear option of Oh, and four. Hey man, we're six twenty nine and one under this cat. At what point do you say, I got to have somebody different flip side is all the stuff he's talked about, all the offseason additions the last couple of years, at least other than Trey Wayne's for a change, full health, um, which hasn't always occurred for this, this franchise and under Zach Taylor, unfortunately for him. Um, if the flip side is you get off that three and one start, I do think you start feeling good about yourself and believe and, and, and look at the rest of the season extraordinarily optimistically. So, yeah, I think this first month is imperative that they get off to that kind of a start for many reasons. Look, bad luck for Trey Waynes, but Trey Waynes needs to get on the field. I mean, Agreed. this is a soft tissue Agreed. injury. It's a hamstring. And he need, he was signed for what, the four-year deal um, and or three-year deal? Three, and, three, three years at 45 mil, man. Right. And hasn't gotten on the field. He has not played a single snap for the Bengals. Yeah, he's cashed fifteen million dollars so far. Probably more than that because I'm doing it on a prorated basis. I, I can't remember what the, you know, the upfront signing bonus that that was in part of that. So you know, he's already probably made half of that money without playing a single snap yet for the Bengals. Um, that can't be, uh, you know. And and when we watch the three corners, the three main corners in in camp, and yes, it's camp, and so we always have to do the caveat. But the three corners for much of camp, him, Awuzie, and and Mike Hilton were outstanding. Yes. Um, and again, doing it against what we think is an outstanding receiving core to boot. So. Yeah, you need him on the field. Um, now you need Eli Apple to be the first-round talent that he once was, and and that's a big if. Uh, he's looked good in camp, but this is a guy that's had a couple of fresh starts in his career. Fresh start with New Orleans, and they said enough's enough. Fresh start with Carolina, and he got hurt there, and they said enough is enough. Well, another fresh start here, and that's great. He he seems like he's he's willing to, to, to take a deep breath and, and embrace that fresh start, but he's got to prove it now because they're throwing him right in the starting lineup on Sunday. Yeah, they are uh, doing that indeed. And, you know, I want to get to uh, the defense overall because I think Lou Anarumo has a chance this year to do things with his defense he hasn't been able to do in the first two years. There's no doubt. And I think that is a big, big deal. And Anarumo has talked about, you know, the the different levels of, you know, comparing his defense to college courses and, he thinks that a lot more of his players, I think, on the defensive side can play at the 300, 400 level of uh, course level 
uh, on defense. And I think that uh, is an interesting analogy. I think he's got more playmakers. And I think where it's going to start is up front. There is no doubt in my mind. And correct me if you're if you think I'm, you know, talking out my ass here, Skinny. But I think their defensive line is a hundred percent on paper, a hundred percent improved over last year. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, Geno Atkins um, got hurt early, um, was never himself. He only played 99 snaps. I mean, he really was never even anything other than a, they tried him in on some nickel situations and that was kind of his season. We didn't see DJ reader much. He got hurt in the fifth game of the year. And then you were literally, you were rotating a bunch of, uh, I mean, Mike Daniel started what 11 or 12 games. I'm doing it off the top of my head. He started yeah. a bunch of games last year and he's now on the practice squad. That tells you how much that defensive line depth has changed, you know, um, you know, watching the Browns, some I knew of Larry Joby, and maybe it's just that he's flashed in the handful of practices, but um, I think he's, he's a disruptor. He's a disruptor. There's no question, especially with reader next to him. And uh, Trey Hendrickson's been everything you would hope he would be. You were hoping last year wasn't a flash in the pan, at least from what we saw in camp. I don't think it's going to be. I think he's disruptive. I think Sam Hubbard has taken a step forward as, as well. So I'm, I'm with you on that. I think this defensive line has a chance. In fact, um, last year, the defensive linemen combined for all of 12 sacks. I think the defensive line this year can combine for 30 plus sacks and not, not and I think, you know, you're going to have some more sprinkled in with blitzes with linebackers. I'm just talking about the linemen themselves. I think the defensive line combines to, 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 to double and maybe even triple that total from last year. So that'll tell you how much I think that that line has improved. I think it's a really, really, it's a good group. But I think the other part too, and I think you've asked this question a couple of times of players. I know I have uh, of the versatility of the players and the things that they can do on defense. And, and that's the one thing I think that, while people, you know, got upset that Carl Lawson, you know, they let Carl Lawson walk. Some of this was, I think they want guys who can do a bunch of things, even at end. Uh, Carlos Dunlap did not like it dropping into coverage. No. And that, that's where, <laughs> that's where the head, that's where the head butting got involved he, with, with him and Lou Anarumo. Lou wants he to, was, to occasionally do that. Go straight forward. That's all I do. I'm no, that's getting right. the quarterback. Yeah. Didn't and, care about the edge. No, he want he wanted to do his, his thing. And Lou wants some, some versatility. We've seen that. You know, Lou got mad at us a couple of years ago. I think Jay Morrison of the Athletic asked the question, and, and I was available too because we, we were calling it a five-man front that he was using where the two ends end up standing up, and then they bunch three big tackles down inside. And he said, no, that's just an old 3-4 defense. I just have my ends playing linebacker. So I think he he kind of views those guys at times, the Sam Hubbards and 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 the Trey Hendrickson. And I think that's what Joseph Osai was going to be able to do. I yes. think that's what they saw in his versatility of, hey, he can occasionally drop too. You know, they want to use, I think, Von Bell a little bit more as a blitzer. Von's not great in coverage. It looks like he's improved from last year, but he was a disaster last year in coverage. But he is a good blitzer. Um, you know, we've seen we've seen times. And a good they, tackler. And a great tackler, yeah. Yes. But we've also seen tackler. times this year where we watched Jesse Bates cheat up and, and, and blitz and Von be the single high safety. Um, you know, I, I we've seen Logan Wilson come on blitzes at time and and, and be a disruptor. So I, I think the ver- I think this is the he's got the personnel from a versatility standpoint that he wants. Mike Hilton is a, is a slot corner is arguably the, one of the better blitzing corners in the league. So he's got different pieces. Listen, every defensive coordinator wants to get home with four, right? That's your, that's yep. your goal. Let me get home. With, you're not always getting home with four. You're going to have to send an extra guy or two at times, but you also then if you're going to send guys, you just can't say, well, here's my middle linebacker. He's going to blitz. And here's my safety. He's going to blitz. No, you need to occasionally have that end drop out to where the hot read was there. And Oh, there's Sam Hubbard dropping into the hot read area. So I think he's got the personnel to finally do some of the things he wants to do defensively. So as you know, I covered bill Belichick. And one of the things I, I loved about Belichick is he would, you ask him a simple question um, that was open-ended. He'd give you a great response. And I once asked him, bill, what makes, a good defense. And he said, that's a great question. Two things. 
coverage and tackling. And I said, well, what does that mean? How much space is there between the offensive player and the nearest defender? And secondly, when the offensive player gets the ball, how quick does your defense close and ta- and how well do they tackle? Yeah, Mike, and a great example of that is, is you can look sometimes at tackle totals, right? And go, man, that guy's a great player because he's averaging 13 tackles. Was he making those tackles five yards down the field? Correct. Or is he making them at the point of attack? There's a big difference there. A, a huge difference. So if I'm telling Bengals fans what to look for in an improvement uh, in this Bengal defense in 2021, it's not just the defensive front. It's not just disrupting. That's a big part of it. But it's the thing that I saw early in that Tampa Bay game that I was like, it, it opened my eyes wide was there the Bengals were swarming the ball there was a defender around almost every single offensive player when the ball was thrown to them and they were tackling and Jermaine Pratt had a couple of tackles early in that game and and Von Bell did too Um, and it just made me think wow this is a little bit different than what I'm used to seeing yeah, no, and I think we've seen it in camp, too. The run fits look good. You hear a lot of almost every run play you hear, set the edge, set the edge, set the edge, and you're watching guys do that. I think that's something that Trey Hendrickson is, is going to be good at, um, and, and so is Sam Hubbard. And you go back to Carlos Dunlap, that's just something he wasn't great at. He wanted to, as you mentioned, he no. wanted to get upfield and try to make a play, and occasionally, yeah, he would. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the guy is is – was, was, a, was a great sack artist, and he was a very good end for a long period of time. But at the end, I think he had one direction he wanted to go, and that was the direction he wanted to go. The, the rest of the defense be damned, and you can't have that. And I don't think you have that anymore. One other thing I would tell uh, Bengals fans to keep an eye on, and uh, Zach Taylor alluded to this on Monday, he wants the Bengals to be playing complimentary football. He brought that up a couple of times on Monday, and that means our offense should not be expected to score 30, 35 points. Absolutely. A game. And the offense needs to stay on the field longer to give our defense a chance to rest on the sideline to be at their optimum uh, toward the end of games, which is when Bengals, uh, the Bengals have lost games under Zach Taylor. They're deep. We, there's no better example to me of that than a game they tied. They were beating up the Eagles. Oh, yeah. Last year. They they were up 23-16. That game was the Bengals to close out. Their defense looked gassed on the final uh Eagles offensive drive of the game. They tie the game. We all know how it ends. Ended in a tie that for all the world felt like a loss uh to Cincinnati. And that has got to change in 2021. And that's what I think uh, Zach Taylor is getting at when he talks about complimentary football. And I'll be honest, some of that's on Zach Taylor as a play caller, too, because there have been a handful of three play 22 second drives where the defense (laughs) has come off gassed and he's gone pass, 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 incomplete, incomplete, incomplete. And you look up and you go, all right, hey, I I, I know you want to throw the ball and maybe you had a look that you wanted, but occasionally you need to give that defense at least a bit of a blow. And, And so that's where. For all the world, he can't drop Joe Burrow back 40-plus times a game. No. And I know sometimes last year's score dictated that and being down in games, et cetera. I do fully realize that. But some of it, too, was at times if you're talking about complimentary football, well, then walk the walk and look at your play sheet and go, you know what? Whatever it is, be damned here. Run around the football a couple of times just to chew a minute and a half or so off the clock, even if it puts us in a third and five or a third and long, just to, to make sure that we're not burning 22 seconds of clock and our defense is right back out there tired. Best case scenario in 2021, Bengals go 11 and six. How about you? Yeah, I'm going to go 10 and seven. Best case. Most of the predictions I've seen for people winning this division have whoever the division winner is at 10 wins. 
Um, I think that's probably no, right. I think the Browns are going to boat race this. Division. I, I, yeah. On paper, I'm with you. And that's who I have winning the division. Um, I don't think the Steelers are going to be very good. I don't I think they're a sub 500 team. Um, and, and I think Baltimore's still going to, to, to be a playoff caliber team. I'm going to go best case 10 and seven and I'll go worst case five and 12. Um, there's just so many swing games. And honestly, you start with really the first, the first three to me are swing games. You know, Minnesota is a, is a swing. Going to Chicago is a winnable game. I think this year, because I don't think Pittsburgh is very good, going there is winnable. It doesn't mean you're winning any of them, and it doesn't mean you're losing all three. So there's a lot of 50-50 yes. games, at least on that's paper right the, now. So that's why I got a wild swing from five to ten. The first, the, to me, the first month of the season defines what the Bengals yeah, are going to be. And, and that is not the case with really, really, really good teams. No, you're right. Like with the Patriots. We saw they, the one year that the, they got killed on what it was at the Thursday of the Monday night game, and it was the on to Cincinnati year. They're, they're done. Kansas yeah, City, 41-14, right. and, and, and it was Mike Giardi of NFL Network, God bless him, asking that question. Are you going – are you – are you confident with the, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, are you confident with the quarterback position? Are you thinking of making a change? And that's where Belichick um, drops his passive dismissive uh, smile, smirk, yeah. and it was on to Cincinnati from <laughs> on there. To Cincinnati but from there, yes. They don't, good teams don't worry about the first month because they know that they're finding out who they are and they, they know they will be a good team as the road progresses, the Bengals can't say that yet. That's right. That's the one, that's the difference in Cincinnati. You've got to prove to yourself, forget the rest of the league, forget the media. You've got to prove to yourself. You can win close games. You can win games on the road. If the Bengals do that in the first month of the year, I think the wild card is definitely in, in discussion. I want to know if Richard Skinner has been hydrating on uh, in the press box of high school games. Uh, yeah, you know, hey, listen, one of my pet peeves, my man, is these 25-minute halftime things in, in high school. I love the band. I do. I think the band should play. I think the home team band should play. Yep. But we get, we get two bands playing, and to their credit, they only play for five, six minutes. And then we got about eight or nine minutes of downtime. Then we got to put three more minutes on the clock which really by the time they set the clock, press the button, all those things and get ready to play, it's about a 25-minute halftime. So these poor kids have warmed up, played a half, gone in, sat down. Um, the sweat's gone out of them. And, and, and obviously on these hot nights, you can't stay hydrated. And guess what we have in the second half of all these high school football games in September? We got one cramp problem after another, and no one wants to address it. I am I am at my wits end with it. It happened in a game I did the other day. You actually listened to it and watched yep. it. Went with LaSalle. I think there were literally six straight plays where a player yep. went down with a cramp. That's not a coincidence. And that, you know, people can always go, well, hydrate. A, those kids don't know how to hydrate properly. They're not professionals. You can tell them to do it. Right. And they're probably drinking some sugar drink that's not helping them whatsoever. Um, and yeah, that's on them to some degree. So it is the human body just isn't made to do that. Warm up, play, cool down for a half hour, go play again after a two minute warm up. Don't work that way. Reading Deer Park this week. What do you got? Reading Deer Park this week. Yes, indeed. Uh, the, the, the battle in the CHL. The, the Tony Pike led Reading Blue Devils. Oh, guess, that's right. Yes. Yeah, that is right. Yeah. You're not heading over to Indian Hill, my neck of the woods. Uh, no, they got a great, they got Wyoming. Yeah. Got oh, do game. they early yeah. in the season? I yeah. didn't check that. Yes. Yeah. They got Wyoming this week. So yeah, big showdown. Oh, that's CHL. bad. Well, that's really bad for Indian Hill because they've started the season 0 and 3. Yeah, I know. They've like got said. injuries and not good. No bueno. Yep. Yeah. I think this is going to be a down year for Tony. And, they, and, and they've, yeah, they've, and they've had a great run of success here for the last yes. few years. They have, but I got back just, in, I actually did a couple of their games toward the end of last year Okay, and they lost uh, in the playoffs. And I'm trying to think the uh, date Valley Mill, view. Oh, Valley oh, view. Valley, yeah. Valley view. Valley yeah. view. It was Valley view. They lost to uh, 22, 21. It was a, it a was crazy a, game. A crazy ending, right? 
It was like watching a Bengal game. Yeah. It was, they were up at home. It was like watching the, the Steeler playoff game. Number two, 2.0, the one where the Bengals were up uh, late, late. And then, um, lost obviously and that's what uh, that game turned into for indian hill they had big hopes because had they uh won that game they would have played wyoming wyoming and i and i did halloween i did wyoming valley view the next week and that was a wild finish where, where wyoming scored a miracle touchdown to force overtime look for all the world like they were going to lose the game and somehow pulled out a win over valley view so yeah back-to-back weeks uh, valley view had had some barn burners i love talking high school football i really do i love it all love being back yep okay. i'm glad you're back I'm, I'm sure you are too Well, I want to thank everybody for downloading this episode of the Jungle Warrior podcast. You can uh, listen to it uh, wherever you listen to your uh, favorite podcast. That would be Apple, Stitcher, or Google. I want to thank our terrific guest, Richard Skinner of Local 12. He does a great job and has for many, many years covering the Cincinnati Bengals. You can follow him on Twitter. You should be following him on Twitter at Local12Skinny, all one word. Everybody, I want to thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.